You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon, testimonies from reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask, and this week's guest is a colleague of mine, Neil Austin. Neil, welcome to the show. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your very busy day to be uh, in this great environment. So, No, totally. Happy to share it. It's great to be here. Um, what I like to do with a lot of guests is go back as far as you think is relevant in your, whether it's your childhood, teenage years, wherever this journey started and let the, you know, you, the guests understand where you're coming from and, and how this all developed over the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Yeah, sure. Well, I grew up in a Christian home um, and my parents were, uh, went to Lutheran church. Um, and uh, so I actually went through, you know, was, had, liturgy had something similar very similar to mass uh communion was very elevated in the missouri Synod lutheran church that i went to as well it was something that you had to go through confirmation before you could take communion so there was a very sort of the eucharist was a very sort of elevated experience in that um and so you know um have had sort of a, a good close journey with the lord for a long period of time which which uh you know, very regular uh, attendee and uh, trying to incorporate that in my life and in my work, including working, uh, you know, raise money to work for Christian nonprofits overseas, do humanitarian work and launch uh, Abide and, and now Amen, which is a Catholic um, meditation app and Abide, which is um, a more Protestant version of, of uh, meditation um, on scripture and reflection and prayer and those types of things. So been very, very uh, engaged um, sort of in the faith for a long period of time. And so all, even in your late teens, early 20s, did you have any instance where you were kind of deviating from the faith and losing sight of God? Because that seems so common for so many Well, it people. is. You know, I think mine was more of a question. I had I had a really big question of like what God uh, wanted out of me, and was it really real? And um, that was uh, well, I was at Berkeley, and Berkeley is kind of a you know fire sort yeah. of place. You see Berkeley, and so people tended to either grow in their faith or fall away. And I would say that was probably where it was the most challenging to me is just like, you know, how do I reconcile, love math, love science, love all that kind of stuff with faith and definitely went through some times in that of, of challenge and really uh, a lot of that resolved as I was sort of in prayer and God sort of challenged me to go do some stuff in faith and step out in faith. And I took some actions to step out in faith and God responded in very powerful ways to that. And I think that sort of solidified my understanding that like God's in control, God's got a plan and I need to trust that. So that was, my, I would say college was my period of like, you know, pressing into that and, and definitely having a lot of big questions around it. Uh, and then feeling like a lot of those got resolved really well <laughs> and, so, and, and then continuing forward on the journey. And so through your twenties, you were still attending the Missouri Synod 
Lutheran church? Well, I sort of switched because they were very specific in that community. I was in Santa Rosa. I wasn't, I, I didn't really, wasn't that particularly connected to one denomination. I wasn't, I didn't feel like one denomination had it right. And so I actually got involved in Presbyterian church for a while because it was a great Presbyterian church in I'm not really a Calvinist per se in terms mm-hmm. of theologically speaking, but like I think that uh, great preacher who was there and really good college ministry. And then so and then, you know, non-denominational stuff, probably more or less is what I got involved in, because that was sort of the trend of what a lot of my friends were involved in. And that was all in the same area in Santa Rosa area. This was in Berkeley. OK, that was in Berkeley. And then. Uh, when I was in graduate school, well, then of course I lived in Africa doing humanitarian work over there and I attended local African churches when I was there. So very Pentecostal, charismatic, as well as Ethiopian Orthodox church. Wow. So got exposed to sort of Orthodox tradition. And also actually during my college days, because I read a lot of stuff from all over the place, read a lot of Catholic stuff, love Merton, totally love Merton. Uh, you know, Henry Nowen was great. And, but I also got involved in a lot of, um, actually one of my friends who is, um, who's actually converted like Hinduism basically introduced me to Eastern Orthodox spirituality, including saying the Jesus prayer, which I don't know if you're familiar with that tradition, but in the, in the Eastern Orthodox church, there's a really big tradition of saying, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, and repeating yes, that over yes, and over yes, again. Yes. Now I know what and you're then, talking about. So, so that's, that's like a really, and I actually read a lot on that and sort of got introduced. So I sort of had this thing where I was like, hey, look, I'm Christian. I believe in the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so there, I have this charismatic side, but I also sort of want to experience the, the long historic traditions of what have worked in terms of prayer and sort of pressing into that. So I sort of took from all the good I would see in the different traditions I would try to take from and say like, if this is consistent with scripture and this is something that's helping people engage with God, then I'm going to go for it and like incorporate that into my spirituality, including um, also some African-American Pentecostal spirituality I was part of a church when I went to Princeton, I actually went to Trenton to go to church. So I went, I went to like a, a African-American Pentecostal church and I was like the white guy who showed up there and I loved it. They had great preaching, great community. Their men's Bible study was amazing. Several dudes had been in prison and had gotten out. It had been sort of like really restored and just really wise people. And so I've just sort of, I've, I, let's just say I've walked in a lot of different um uh, paths. Uh, and I, I just love the freshness that that brings to the perspective of faith is like, what does it look like to be a 45 year old ex convict African American guy living in Trenton, you know, Trenton, uh, New Jersey, like, which is a totally different life than me who's trying to serve God. So that's, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of, uh, been, ex- been very open to sort of like pressing in on those things and seeing like it's scripture being talked about here is you know the holy spirit being talked about you know incorporated and 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 obviously that didn't fall in my going into catholicism sort of testing that taking that same philosophy and really find seeing that there's amazing you know god's truth is really there and 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 it's consistent with i think that was you know 
and answer a lot of questions going through the process of RCIA and that. So you had all these uh, denominational experiences. Yes. What What was the the moment for you? Where were you? How How did this this realization that right. Catholicism was the full? I was word? at the Protestant church here called uh, Reality San Francisco, and we were reading the Nicene Creed, which I love. And you know, says so there's one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, and I heard a very specific word in uh, as I was praying this which was uh you need to be in communion with the catholic church as I was reading this this is a very specific word not I mean it was like you can't be more specific than that like you need to be in communion with the catholic church and this is as I've been working on abide for a long time and I was like okay you know I was like I told my wife who was sitting next to me I'm like so I heard this and she's like great we'll explore it and so I emailed a couple of uh, parishes that are right next to me here. And one of them called St. Dominic's was a, the head father there responded right away and said, come in and let's talk. And so that helped start the process. And I went to RCI thinking, you know, I'm gonna just explore it and see if it looks like it's true. And um, one of the things that I appreciated about Father Michael and that is he was like, look, like the dogma we need to agree on, the sort of core doctrine, but there's a lot of other aspects of the Catholic faith that you can have some time to like grow into. <laughs> it does, you don't have to like just do it all at once because it's a lot and some of it may not even fit your devotional practice. You might not find that helpful. So like, just let's try to, let's agree on the core and then press into, you know, your understanding of the rest of things and let God convict you of things if you need to change to be molded into the faith more. Wow. Do you remember what time of, of year that was that you entered RCIA? Well, I think it was, they had scheduled RCIA things. So I think it started in the fall. I think it was like September or something. And then we finished at Easter. There was like, that it was Easter. right around Easter where yeah. uh, I can't remember exactly. It was within a couple of days of Easter that we had sort of the, you know, coming into the church. But there were a lot of things I, I appreciated about that process where like, because I had been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and we presented like, you know, they asked for, and I got from my parents, my baptismal, you know, thing that said all of that. And they were like, great, well, we're not going to rebaptize you because you've already been baptized in the name of the Father. That was really interesting going through that process. I didn't, you know... Um, and maybe that's changed over time. I don't know how that's changed or evolved or if every parish does it the same way. But the, the you know, there was, um, I think there was this, one of the things that was really refreshing for me was the sentiment that there's a lot of brothers and sisters in the faith who aren't in communion with the Catholic church was the sentiment that I got from the father at St. Dominic's and everybody there was like, there's a lot of people who are believers who are going to be in heaven with us who are just not in communion with us because they're not practicing sacraments the same way we are. And we love to bring them into that fold, which was, um, again, like, I don't know how every parish does it or how everyone thinks about it, but that was, it, 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 it resonated with my experience of it is that I've, having seen God move in different places in different communities, mm -hmm. um, but you know, wanting to have the truth of what's been learned for thousands of years be part of the experience that we strive for is to live, you know, to live into those. Uh, so, yeah. And I mean, I think I've heard that too. And to uh, know that that is not, some people would say, oh, well, then I don't evangelize because they're, 
they're separated brethren when in fact we want to preach the fullness and bring sure. as many people home as possible but i remember hearing that before it's like if you hear separated brethren or whatever the, the the term is that well you know don't don't talk about the faith but that's not that's not true at all it's it's a matter of you know everyone has different paths and how they were raised and where they are currently sure. and kind of being there to meet them in that spot you mentioned you said we in rcia did your wife join yeah well? my wife went through with me as well which was great. So we went through it together and read, you know, the material and talked about it and asked a lot of questions together. And that was, um, I think that was great. And she um, had also been exposed to Catholicism. She had done Peace Corps in El Salvador, very Catholic country, had been around it, had had great experience with it. So I think that both of us had, um, you know, were, were, were open to it. And that was great to be able to do that, obviously, together. So we finished RCIA and she had been baptized you know she had gone through all the same stuff so it was we had very similar pretty similar experience of of going through rca together was there um was there reluctance on either of your parts through the process or you was it more of a okay i'm struggling to understand it but i'm not reluctant i just need time to understand these different teachings i think right um I think for the most part, I think there's still some areas where I'm figuring things out, so to speak, you know, around um, certain, like certain parts, mm -hmm. like, for, like, so there's some areas where we really pressed into, I think the Eucharist, I was always kind of close on the Eucharist was actually one where I think we both really expanded our understanding of it. I think the sort of Catholic understanding how I came to understand the Catholic understanding of the Eucharist was really profound for me in the sense of like, it's kind of like the, 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 the love feast throughout all time in history. And whenever you take the Eucharist, you're taking it with everybody who past, present, and future has ever taken the, the you know, communion. Is that this experience isn't just, and I think the Protestant experience is much more like, oh, this is between you and God. So like, go do this thing between you and God. But I really actually find much more alignment with the Catholic view of like, no, this is something that we're doing with the presence of God throughout, you know, as a community and, and that we pray for. So I think there's some of those things, I think that, you know, obviously like the, the Hail Mary, the idea of asking saints to pray for you, I think was something that was really, I needed clarification and theology around understanding sure. if you're, you know, and I had great clarification. It was like very clear theological grounds for, they were like, well, this is why we ask saints to pray for us. And that was really helpful. And uh, then there's some areas that we're still wrestling through where I'm like, you know, one of the areas um, is like birth control. It's just like, I still haven't reconciled myself to that part of it in terms of like coming to look scripturally and be like, show me the scripture where it says can't use birth control. And I've tried to read on that, right? And so that's one of those areas where Father Michael's like, well, keep praying into that and wrestle into that and see what, we have four kids, so we're not sort of like short on kids in that regard. But, you know, there's some areas that I still, and I think that's one of those where Father Michael would say like, you know, from the dogma perspective and the core theology, keep focusing on that and keep praying into it and hope you, God will convict you. And I'm sort of, I, maybe I'm not open-handed enough and allowing God to convict me in that space. That's possible. <laughs> 
but there are some areas that I still wrestle, wrestle with where I'm like, I, I, yeah, I mean, there are, there are yeah. people that wrestle with, um, you know, the NFP aspect mm-hmm. of this, it's, which is, I mean, we won't get too far into it, but the, op- the, the, the fact that you're open to life and you're not thwarting life, right. that, you know, that distinction. And so then you take it a step further and you just say, well, God, I need to, oh man, because we have five. And it's right. that, that instance of, I trust you wholeheartedly. I want to be a steward. I want to be responsible. I want to make sure that everything is ordered to unity, sure. procreative, you know, that kind of thing. And then there are other elements. That's what I wanted to ask you about. When, when you or when anyone converts, they're going to get, typically you're going to get pushback from family members. And the family members, if they're vocal, will often call out things like that. I don't understand the church's stance on contraception. I don't understand the church's stance on uh, merit of the saints or, you know, indulgences, things like that. Did you have any, any of that coming from family, extended family? You know, um, honestly, very little, because I think that my most, as a matter of fact, we have part of our family's Catholic. My mom's grandma was Catholic and my mom grew up playing the rosary with her grandma, right? And I have cousins who are Catholic and her uncle's Catholic. So, and they have great relationship with each other in total. So oh, there was great. a, I would say for the most part, there was very little, they're more happy that we're participating in the faith <laughs> and, and go pressing into it than they were worried about <clears throat> being, you know, they, they actually, my parents just a week ago came down and went to mass with us in St. Dominic's. They did take communion, obviously, but they were like, hey, this is great. So, you know, I, I, I haven't, my brother's a strong believer too, and he's totally excited. He reads a lot of Catholic, you know, Catholic theology too. So I, I haven't experienced that. I do think that a generation or two earlier would have been different. I know that some of my relatives who were grew up in the midwest yeah in a different era had a stronger sense of division between protestant and catholic and they were like oh yeah those are the catholics down the street we don't talk to those people (laughs) was but i i think that that generational divide has more distance and what i hear more now is like the secularism has pushed in so much that a lot of people are like well aren't we allies in this like can we all get along because that the battle's not against each other the battle's against this other you know this the the, this the humanist secularist trend is a lot more of what i'm hearing today but san francisco is also an area where there's just aren't as many explicit believers above ground and so there tends to be a lot more solidarity among people who are proclaiming the name of Jesus as Lord, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, then there is division among the two. But that's my experience here specifically in San Francisco. Interesting. Yeah. Um, The other thing I find fascinating is a lot of people that were raised Lutheran, um, they'll say that it it wasn't that big of a jump and it felt almost natural and there wasn't a bunch of tension. But I've also heard that for some, that chasm is massive. As far as the how the lutheran church may view that jump you know some of them may say oh sure okay and then others it's this big it's this big deal and they start debating about justification they start 
you know, debating about the solas and things like that. But for many, again, specifically uh, Missouri Synod. So my grandparents, uh, my dad's side, that's, that's how they, I, I don't know if they were raised that way, but they were there for quite a while. And when my dad said, I'm converting to the Catholic church, it, it wasn't this monumental thing like right. it is for so many people that I interview. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think that for me personally, it wasn't actually that far experientially or even theologically, I felt like from what the Missouri Synod Church was at. But I think if you talk to some of the pastors in the Missouri Synod Church, they would have a very different opinion <laughs> about the difference between the two than, than I would as a layperson. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, do, do you often get an opportunity outside of work, let's say, do you often get an opportunity to share your story, to talk to uh, Protestants? And how do you address this whole paradigm shift that you've that you've gone through? I mean, yeah, I do. And I'm certainly very open about it. I think the main thing for me is, um, you know, trying to express things that I've learned as well and things that I've found beneficial in that space where I have an invitation to them to say, maybe you want, want to explore this because I think it can deepen your faith, right? Is sort of the like, and, and, and I think that that has generally been, you know, those things have been, have been really well received. Um, so I, I would say definitely for the, you know, the, the, the only areas that, that I, I tend to hear negativity around are the big challenges that the Catholic church has from perception and, and, and internally, you know, to like the, the, the challenges around, uh, you know, molestation and other things like that. And people are like, how is that handled? And what does that look like? Um, those questions do come up sometimes when I talk about, you know, the experience and, and sort of raise that. But then what's hardest for outsiders, they don't necessarily see the experience I'm having at St. Dominic's where we're praying for people who have had those experiences, yeah. those negative experiences and praying for, you know, God to sort of like restore and clean, like, and, 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 you know, handle priests who haven't been faithful. And we ask for, you know, very humbly coming before God and saying like, we want this, everything to be made right. Right. And need forgiveness where things haven't been right. So I, you know, the, the, those are more some of the things that I've run into than uh, honestly, I think most Protestants I talk to don't understand the theological differences enough to even know where to start. They just know it's different. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> to yes. be honest, most of them don't even know the theological differences enough to be able to speak to it. Yeah. And, in, and I would say those that do, it's a long list. So as yeah. I mentioned on other uh, episodes, when you answer one, I mean, you just seek to address one of those totally. objections or, or points of confusion, they've got another one right behind it. Of course. And then another one right behind it. So um, yeah, I'm learning about, okay, well, how, how do you address that when there's a long list of objections? Is it better to sit there and answer them one by one? Um, maybe in some cases, I think in others, it's helpful to say, what is it that you're looking for? Because if, if I were to able, would I, if I could answer these questions sufficiently, would you become Catholic, you know? And I thought that was great. I think it was Trent um 
Horn, I think, shared that with me. But anyway, I'm just curious about that. I think it's it's so interesting, your experience being able to identify with so many denominations. I interviewed a gentleman probably five episodes into doing this, and it was his experience was I've been to so many of these churches. I can speak the language to each group of people. And there's almost this mutual respect that can come from that as a starting point. Sure. And then you can get into the dialogue about the differences and why, you know, where the Catholic church is found in scripture and talk about the history of the church and things like that. Um, have you noticed that for you as well? There, yeah, I think his point, I think that point is really just true is that there's, there's, there's so many different perspectives on it. And I, um, you know some people answering the questions is is enough and for some people it's emotional connection and community and if you just show people in and being like look there are people who are living faithful lives according to the lord here and you're going to see that in the community for some people that form of argumentation is more powerful than the going through the list of theological points i I agree i found going through the list of theological points um less of a fruitful exercise yeah and i think that in part it's systematic theology is a bit hard and complicated and messy and you can move these things in different directions a bit but you're like it's the same god it's the same lord even in the catholicism i mean there's a lot one of the things i appreciate about catholicism is there's a lot of diversity of thinking along a lot of different areas of theology Right. But then there's these central dogmas where you're yeah. like, these are the core principles of what we all need to believe in. But there's space to say, like, okay, if a parish is going to speak about this a little bit differently, or you're going to, you know, and you've got all these different groups, like the Dominicans talk about things differently than the Franciscans do, and practices are different. And so there's actually a lot of diversity within the Catholic Church, which I think a lot of people on the outside don't see yes they don't know that or see that so some of the theological argumentation is like i don't know i could sit down with the franciscan and dominican and there might actually differ an opinion on a lot of things around what practices are useful or less useful and what should you emphasize what devotional practices should you do and so in some level like i don't want to squelch the idea that my list of theological items is what's going to win them over necessarily I, i i think that is that is harder you know, in my own experience, but of course there's the burning ones, right? There's the ones that are like, what is foundational yeah. that would actually decide whether or not you want to be part of the faith? Forget all the like edge case stuff and whatever, what is foundational? And I think if you, when I press into that question, there's a lot of room for why Catholicism is a strong argumentation right for like why even the 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 whole eucharistic practice it's like go back to the first century what did people in the first century believe about the presence of god in the the eucharist right yeah (laughs) if you want to because a lot of christians are like acts to church kind of thing it's like let's be like that let's be like the early church right and if you're like okay great let's go explore that together what did the early church yeah. think? Well, it was pretty Catholic, right? <laughs> so, you know, that tends to be more of my approach is like, what is really going to be make or break? Because um, man, you can go down a long list of theological points. And I was in this in the, in the, the Presbyterians were almost some of the strongest, man, some of the Calvinists 
had very specific theology around their five points of the tulip doctrine of yep. like what is total depravity and what is and it was just like man you're really deep on they might almost elevate that more than they elevate scripture sometimes <laughs> yeah the, the, the you know, theology it found within yeah within yeah. those traditions uh and you know it's not a knock i'm not saying everybody's like that or whatever but like it, it can be hard to win so I, I i think um getting back to that core of like what actually is fundamental to the faith is where i love to start and end and we can disagree on the things that are not core well the the yeah again i think trent mentioned it the prudential judgment you know people do have that freedom but there's still the foundation from which you branch out it's not like i've said with so many um totally. denominational situations you can go off and um it's pretty scary but you can go off and create your own and then they do statement of faith and those become their own dogmas because you are if you affirm those that's how you are part sure. of the church so i like that what you're pointing out where there can be the diversity without going off and saying i'm creating my own local group and yeah, we yeah. Are, and we are going to figure out the hidden mysteries of of the bible because of sola scriptura that's going to be our guiding light and it just, it just gets incredibly dangerous so yeah. yeah it does get to it gets to be really hard and i think the the sola scriptura thing is also a little bit you know it's a hard it's a hard principle i think the more i look at sola scriptura is like you know uh i think sola scriptura is a hard is a hard thing to come is a hard thing to sort of press into too far uh for for a lot of reasons um so uh but you want consistency with scripture <laughs> i think that's the thing you know is that, yeah. that would be essential to your point of the statement of faith when i made abide a lot of people were like well you need a statement of faith and i was like well that's obvious you're gonna pick the nicene creed like what you want me to come up with a statement <laughs> of faith <laughs> like good luck with that like who am i to come up with a statement of faith you know uh, i think that was much more of my approach to it was like let's take something that's been tried and true for you know, 1600 years <laughs> that's worked and run with that because it's, it's foundationally right. Right. Like that, if you start there, you're going to start at a good spot. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, great, great. Um, thank you, Neil. That was, that was great. I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing, um, th that moment when you are sitting at church and you just get that conviction that you are to be in communion. With the catholic church that's phenomenal um everyone i invite you to share the video uh, like it comment you know the the deal until next time take care and god bless